This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Well, hi there, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of the Inspiration Project, a podcast that is bringing you conversations with significant people who have been able to find the expression of their faith in their life and uh, an integration between the two. This morning, we have the pleasure of speaking with Brooke Prentice. Brooke is CEO of a movement called Common Grace. That's a movement of people pursuing Jesus and justice. It's involved in a whole range of activities that are both grassroots and um, expanding into different sorts of, of media with a number of different initiatives. Brooke is uh, an Aboriginal Christian leader from the Waka Waka people and has written and authored books. She's pursued theological studies and written theological papers, is a speaker in demand for, uh, for different uh, avenues and different sources of media and uh, is an advocate for pursuing a vision to build an Australia built on truth, justice, love, and hope. Brooke, it's lovely to welcome you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, Common Grace, tell me a bit about what that movement is and what sort of a collection of people it is and what is uh, what does it actually mean to be a movement pursuing Jesus and justice? Yeah, well, it's super exciting to be a part of the movement and it's an absolute privilege to get to lead uh, this movement, which is now over 50,000 Christians engaged with the movement, uh, obviously pursuing Jesus and justice and uh, justice in four key areas, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander justice, uh, creation and climate justice, uh, justice for people seeking asylum and refugees and domestic and family violence. And Common Grace is now seven years old. Uh, and, you know, when we started seven years ago, when Jesus raised up this movement, uh, these were key areas that the church and Australian Christians really weren't that engaged with. And mm. we've seen lots of engagement, uh, you know, in our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander justice area, we are led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders to pursue uh, friendship and reconciliation in our lifetime and uh, to be able to amplify the voices of other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders uh, is something that's very exciting to me and to see our leadership across the other areas as well. But to be able to gather people together, it's predominantly been online and then our major offline events uh, have been Change the Heart, uh, where we answer the call of Auntie Jean Phillips, one of Australia's most senior Aboriginal Christian leaders, to come together um, in prayer to change the hearts of Australia um, just before January 26. And so, uh, you know, we're involved with national truth telling, amplifying the voices um, and experiences and stories of those uh, who experience injustice in these lands now called Australia today, and then to call people to take action um, so that we can see uh, justice and relationship as Jesus calls us to. That's fantastic, Brooke. So that's a big agenda that uh, you described. There's quite a, quite a few significant areas of social endeavour and, and uh, political interest and the, the, the way that faith touches those. You mentioned that 
Common Grace has been operating for seven years. Where was its origins? What was its roots? Uh, so it was really just a small group of Christians who came together uh, and uh, saw that um, Christians needed to have a voice. So the other key thing that Common Grace uh, tries to bring to Australia is to be a generous and gracious Christian voice in the public conversation. Um, so it's not actually necessarily about politics. Uh, we come together and we navigate uh, denominational, theological and political differences mm. uh, to come together for the common good, uh, to find common ground and to share in common grace. And for me, that is the outflowing of Jesus um, especially our graciousness and generosity mm. um, and helps us to have that place as Christians. Uh, it's interesting. I, I appreciate you making the distinction that it's not necessarily political as a movement, even though some of those topics that you are speaking about and speaking into do have a strong political presence or, or priority in, in our society. How, how do you make that distinction between having a voice into an issue, a social issue, and what might be the politics around that issue? Yeah, well, it comes back to our core biblical principles and the core of where Jesus calls us to. So uh, for me, Jesus in life, death and resurrection was and is passionate about justice. Mm. Um, he's passionate uh, about those on the margins of society. And that's really what we're doing. And we have to answer the call to love our neighbour as ourselves. Mm. Uh, and so we have seen and uh, because Common Grace has the experience of um, those who are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, those who are asylum seekers and refugees, those who have experienced and are experiencing domestic and family violence, and then obviously God's beautiful earth of which um, uh, our common home, which we are all called to care for, but uh, there's this deep custodianship of Aboriginal uh, and Torres Strait Islander peoples um, since time immemorial, uh, but of which God's story is part of that story as well as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples were part of God's story. And so uh, for me, um, it's about responding to Jesus' call to love our neighbour. And that means the pursuit of um, Jesus and justice. And so uh, that's what we're doing. Obviously, that has an outworking uh, that we need to call um, our leaders. Uh, I don't call them politicians. They're parliamentarians. Every single parliamentarian is an individual. Um, and Jesus cross, cuts across the political divide. And so this is actually about responding to Jesus' call to love our neighbour. And uh, that should go across political lines. Um, as I always say, there is no left and right in Jesus. There's just Jesus. People are experiencing injustice. And so we do a lot of educating and resourcing about that injustice um, so that people actually understand how we can act for the common good. Yeah. Um, because the common good isn't just the elite of society and those um, that have privilege and education and all of these things, it actually should be for all of us. And for me, that's the view um, of Jesus, that he sees each of us as his precious children um, and each of us um, uh, to have life and life to its fullest. Uh, and so um, that's what we're pursuing. That's great. I want to come back and ask you a bit about that idea of call to action or, or giving people a voice, how grassroots uh, individuals can get involved in that sort of space, but clearly in our conversation already, the, the identification that you have as a, as a Waka Waka woman is prominent. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what does that mean for you and, and how 
how that um, bears influence on on your sense of self and your identity? Yeah, I would love to. So, uh, you know, as Aboriginal peoples, uh, we come from over 300 nations. uh, And so my nation is Waka Waka Nation. That's my grandmother's country. uh, And my Aboriginality comes through my maternal side. So my mum, back to my mum's mum, my nan, back to my nan's mum, my great grandmother. And then all the generations before were from Waka Waka country, which is uh, around Southeast Queensland. Uh, but country is important to our identity as Aboriginal peoples. Um, and you'll hear me even use the plural term peoples, uh, mm. because I'm actually, uh, making that distinction that we are all different peoples over 300 nations. And so when you're really in relationship with us to understand what our nation is, and that's how we identify. So as a walker, walker woman, Uh, But it's a little bit different to a Western kind of system of how you might think about where you're from. So I've never lived on Waka Waka country. Uh, For us as Aboriginal peoples, where we're born, um, uh, where we grow up and where we live are all different parts of our story. And so I was actually born up in far north Queensland on the land of the Indinji peoples. Mm -hmm. Uh, I moved with my mum and my sister to Redcliffe, just north of Brisbane, uh, which is Gubby Gubby country. And uh, when I was five and lived most of my life on Gubby Gubby country, as well as um, Turrbal and Yuggera country, uh, the nations around Brisbane or the Aboriginal word for Brisbane is Mianjin. Um, So I'm hoping people are tuning in to these different ways to understand the ancient story. And uh, I now actually live on uh, Wongul country, which is one of the 29 clans of the Eora Nation in the place now called Sydney. So I've been here for the last um, two years. And so, uh, you know, it was beautiful with NAIDOC week uh, 2021, uh, which we've just had, where the theme was heal country. Mm. And uh, people might have seen on Channel 10 News, they had the weather map with all of the Aboriginal names of the capital cities and a couple of regional centres. And so, Australia is really embracing us. We are the world's oldest living continuing cultures. Um, and as I said before, God has always been part of our story and we've always been part of God's story. Mm. Um, one of the things I often uh, teach people is that, you know, when you understand the true history of these lands now called Australia, it is a miracle that Aboriginal people survived. Mm. Um, in the 19, early 1900s, so that is my great-grandmother's lifetime, our population level, levels across Australia dropped to a mere 90,000 people. Um, And today uh, we're at about 700,000 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples that's still not um, at the levels pre-colonisation, pre-1788, where it's estimated a million, um, over a million Aboriginal peoples. Um, And so it is a miracle that we survived. For Mm. me, that is no one else's miracle, but God's miracle. We're still here for a reason. Mm. And for me, that's to bring out some of the beautiful aspects of our cultures, which our cultures are based on hospitality and generosity. It's based on knowing who the creator is, how to care for creation and how to live in right relationship. Mm. And that's why after 250 years of injustice, um, which still has its outworkings today, um, in Australia, that Aboriginal peoples, and particularly uh, one of my key messages as an Aboriginal Christian leader is we extend our hand in Aboriginal friendship. 
And that is a beautiful miracle. Um, it's a beautiful act of grace and generosity and relationship that we still seek um, this deep relationship uh, uh, today, even through much injustice and in pain. And um, we want to do that together. And so, uh, you know, I'm seeing this nation of Australia change and really starting to love Aboriginal peoples. And so I'm excited for the future um, and especially the role our, our younger generations will play in perhaps building that Australia I've always dreamed of, one built on truth and justice and love and hope. Um, for that's, all peoples. That's, that's fantastic. There's so many things that I want to ask you after, you know, hearing some of that story and some of that's really practical and, and basic and maybe coming from a point of ignorance from my perspective and some of it's really profound and, and big picture sort of stuff. So I'm, I'm going to do my best to try and corral those thoughts and channel them into, into something that might make a bit of sense. I'm, I was really pleased to hear your summary that as a young uh, Aboriginal person, you feel not uh, not that hope is off there in the distance, but that you're experiencing something of hopefulness in the way reconciliation is taking effect in the way that um, acceptance and understanding is being manifest. Is, is that part of your experience as a, a young Aboriginal person? Um, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I do see individuals' hearts and minds. There's still a changing to be in relationship with us. There is still a lot of racism, um, and that includes racism in the Australian church, and uh, it hurts. Um, and uh, part of me as a Christian doesn't understand it, especially when it comes from other Christians, uh, because where is love um, in that when racism and judgment, um, myths and stereotypes are still projected on us as Aboriginal peoples today? And so whilst I do have hope for the future and I have seen people come on the journey and stay on the journey, we still have a long way to go. Mm. Um, you know, I often tell the story of me as a 17 year old and I've got this beautiful picture of me at my year 12 awards night uh, of 17 year old Brooke Prentice. And um, I tell people that I actually dedicated my life to the pursuit of reconciliation as a 17 year old. Mm. Uh, that was in 1997. We're now in 2021 and so 24 years later and we still haven't achieved reconciliation and I thought it was very achievable. I thought we would achieve it by the year 2000 mm. um, and what it meant to achieve it was that we would have a treaty as Aboriginal peoples, um, that there would be uh, true equality because I knew as a 17-year-old Aboriginal girl that I was not equal in this country called Australia um, and that there would be an end to racism. And... Uh, for me, I didn't become a Christian until I was 21 years old. So it was after I'd made that dedication of my life to the pursuit of these things. Yes, when I became a Christian at 21, God obviously deepened that story and um, how love and Jesus' love and relationship is um, intertwined um, with those activities. But this is where I think common grace brings together um, the faith, uh, but also the action, uh, because some of these things are achievable in our humanness. Um, and that's where, you know, we do need to be in conversation with our parliamentarians who make policies. Uh, often that doesn't affect a non-Indigenous person's life, uh, but it affects Aboriginal people's lives each and every day. And one of those key kind of areas is the lack of action of um, the implementation of the recommendations 
recommendations from the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody. Uh, and that's a, a key kind of area that Common Grace advocates for uh, change in. And, you know, that report was released in 1991. I was 11 years old and mm. we still haven't implemented those recommendations. Um, you know, now I'm 41, mm. uh, 30 years later. And so, yeah, we try to bring people on that journey. And, you know, our reality today as Aboriginal peoples is that we are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are only 3% of the Australian population. We once were 100% of the Australian population. Mm. And so how do we build that friendship uh, between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Indigenous peoples of all cultures and across all generations um, to actually see uh, that justice, um, that love and life in its fullness lived out uh, for all of us. Brooke, you, you've talked a bit about some of the, the journeying that you've done, born in far north Queensland, moved into the Brisbane area, now living in Sydney. You spoke about the fact that at a 17-year-old ending high school, you were conscious of what it meant to be an Aboriginal person, an Aboriginal young person, and the sense of disconnect possibly with the, the dominant culture around you. In that 17 years, having, having grown up in the spaces that you did, far north Queensland, Brisbane, what was it that spoke or gave you a sense of history, a sense of association with, with your Aboriginal heritage? How, how was that infused into, into your being? Yeah, so from the stories of my nan, um, I was very close with my nan, so she passed down um, our stories as Waka Waka peoples uh, to me and my sister. Uh, and, you know, as well as the stories of great injustice and great pain. Um, you know, my mum was born in 1955, uh, and this is where the history is actually a living history. You know, Aboriginal peoples aren't fully recognised as citizens when the referendum in um, that actually counted us as people in the census is 1967. Uh, so my mum's born in 1955 and this is where people need to realise how it's still a living history. These are still things that, you know, um, affect our, our parents and grandparents um, of people like my age. We experience as Aboriginal people's injustice at such a young age, which is often our first experiences in the schoolyard, um, and it's often racist Aboriginal jokes that are told to us. And so I very clearly remember, pardon? That was your experience? You you had? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So going home to mum um, and uh, sitting down with her and saying what the kids had said to me and asking her why they had said it to me and her having to explain that. And then her remembering her stories with her nan, um, you know, they went into a shop uh, and it's been in the later years that mum actually talked about this story um, as I go around and do my seminars and connect with peoples uh, and try and build that relationship. Mum's come to a few of those and uh, one of them she told the story of um, when she was a little girl at like seven years old going into a shop in Queensland with her nan um, and uh, the shopkeeper kicking them out. Uh, and saying we don't serve Aboriginal peoples. That's haunted my mum her whole life. Um, 
as to how her nan was treated, but to know that we're treated differently. And so, um, you know, this is still happening today, you know, a, a key story I can tell. So I'm actually a chartered accountant by profession, uh, one of only about 30 Indigenous chartered accountants in all of Australia. And uh, a few years ago in uh, one of my senior finance roles, um, someone said to me, oh, Brooke, I'm surprised you're an accountant. And I said, oh, why is that? And they said, oh, well, Aboriginal people aren't good at maths. Wow. And so this is the Australia we're still living in. Um, and so my hope is that, you know, Christians especially can engage with our story and mm. to love us first instead of judging mm. You mentioned you came to a saving faith at the age of 21. To tell us about that, what happened to introduce you to Jesus and his love and change some of your understanding about what life was about? Yeah, so um, uh, I'm very proud of my schooling. I'm alumni of Scarborough State School up there on Gubby Gubby Country and Redcliffe State High School also on Gubby Gubby Country and you know, very grateful for my mum who uh, she knew the way out of poverty for us was through education and relationship mm. um, and invested everything she had in, in um, to my sister and I having those education opportunities and building relationships. And so my teachers were a very important part of that journey. Uh, but in my year 12, um, year we were very low socioeconomic area. Um, and a lot of challenges for all of the kids that went to the high school. Um, being the smart Aboriginal kid wasn't uh, an easy journey um, in a public school in Queensland uh, in the 90s, but uh, um, it built great character. Uh, and, you know, my year 12 year, we started the year with 86 students. We finished the year with 54 students. And then out of those 54 students that graduated year 12, only five of us went on to university. And so I was one of those five, went on to the University of Queensland, found out only two years ago that I'm actually the very first Aboriginal person to graduate from the University of Queensland, which are, with a Bachelor of Commerce and a Bachelor of Arts. You know, that story of education and, and now how I try to educate others and help others navigate different systems um, and pathways. And so, uh, you know, our stories are very important. And why have I told you all that background information? Well, on my very first day of university, uh, I met this girl, Natalie, who is one of my best friends still today. Uh, I had no idea what her background is, and it was the Easter of our first year of university. And um, we were talking about what we were doing for Easter, and she said she was a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wanted to run a million miles away and I'm like, oh no, I've got this really great new best friend and she seems to be a Christian. What am I going to do? Um, because I didn't see Christians involved in justice. Uh, yeah. And so I didn't understand what that was all about. Um, I've since realized that justice is a key part of Jesus story uh, and what the Bible calls us to, and it should be part of our Christian life mm. and have many um, great Christian inspirations in my life um, mm. of the past and present today. And so mm. um, for me, when I started to learn about who Jesus was, I'm like, Oh, that's like how our mob do things. <laughs> <laughs> how Aboriginal people uh, do things. And so, you know, for me, the two went exactly together. What I found, though, in the church was that people weren't interested in my Aboriginality. I wasn't finding other Aboriginal 
uh, Christians. And so I'm like, what has happened here? Why isn't that happening? And um, it was 10 years after being a Christian. So actually in 2012, uh, I left uh, a quite significant accounting career and went to become an Aboriginal pastor. Um, And then that's when I met Auntie Jean Phillips, who's one of our most senior Aboriginal Christian leaders at an event that she had brought together called the Grass Tree Gathering. Uh, And 65 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders from all across Australia and all different denominations um, came together. And I went, oh, hang on, why can't I see all of these incredible Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders in the Australian church? Mm. And so I went to find them and to gather them and to keep gathering us together and to amplify our voices and Common Grace today is one of the best places people can go to learn about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders and to tune in um, to our understanding. It's only been in the last few years that deep theological work um, has started to be undertaken. Uh, So I now have my graduate diploma in theology. There has been a lot of racism in the theological colleges and as Uncle Jack Charles, who's an amazing Aboriginal actor, said, Aboriginal people suffer a peculiar type of racism And if you don't know that, I don't know why you don't know that. And um, I've definitely seen the outworkings of that. And so we've done a lot of work with the theological colleges and have an organisation called NAITS, N-A-I-I-T-S, and I'm one of their first students and it's focused uh, on uh, theology studies at the master's and PhD level and particularly as led by um, Indigenous peoples all around the world. Um, And I'm... Uh, It's a privilege to have been part of Nate's and bringing that to Australia uh, and then being able to uh, build relationship with the theological colleges that show our leadership and show our theology that is relevant for all Christians. Aboriginal people didn't just materialise, and this is where I said earlier about us being part, we've always been part of God's story. Um, God placed us here as Aboriginal peoples. God appointed our boundaries And so the other key thing is to realise that uh, according to the last census, 54% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples identified as Christian. Mm. Um, The non-Indigenous population was 55%, but you're not necessarily seeing us in the churches, but we actually are Christian. Mm. Um, And you won't find one Aboriginal person, Christian or non-Christian, who doesn't believe in the creator. Mm. And uh, for those of us who are Christian, that is exactly the same creator that is in Genesis 1 Mm. and right throughout the Bible. What's your view of of some of the historical work of the church, things like mission and um, that that, uh, part of history, which is often quite um, provocative for or appears to be provocative for Aboriginal peoples? Yeah, and this is where the truth-telling becomes very important. The truth does set us free, Mm. and that means we have to embrace the whole truth, and that does mean embracing the truth, uh, both the bad and some of the most horrific things carried out by the church and missions um, in Australia for Aboriginal peoples, as well as what uh, some of the good might have been. So, uh, you know, some of those good stories are around, uh, you know, I think about the the Ghana language of Adelaide. Um, it was the Lutheran missionaries that documented that. That means that language is now a living language today. Um, and there's been a lot of restoration work. Uh, it means, 
you know, the missions were a place of safety for Aboriginal peoples, which is part of the reason we have survived. Mm. Um, You went to the mission to avoid being killed and Mm. massacred. Um, But on the flip side of that is that Christians, uh, people who identified as Christians, did do the massacring of Aboriginal peoples as Mm. well. And so we have to hold both sides of that story. That is our story. Mm. Um, As Auntie Jean Phillips says, um, uh, our history is your history. Your history is our history. For the last 250 years, that's been a shared history. And so we can't just focus on the good and uh, not look at the bad. Um, uh, And But often Aboriginal people's stories haven't been told, and that includes deep pain and injustice. Um, but that that still carries out today. Yeah, I, I've just been um, listening actually to the Saints and Bullies, John Dixon's new book, and it, the chapter finished was about the Crusades and uh, the same sort of issue, the, the what might have been motive turned into some terrible practice and the the joint issues of, of what was true to the calls of faith and what was contrary to those things. Part of the same story, I I think I hear you saying. I think so. I think it's though, uh, you know, this is where you have to journey with Aboriginal peoples and actually look at it from our perspective. Yes, people might have thought they were doing the right thing, but there were a lot that knew it was definitely the wrong thing. And you only have to read parliamentary records um, and missionaries' journals uh, to know that a lot of them knew that these things were wrong. Um, you know, uh, you look even, I spend a lot of time, I go back to the original sources of journals and so forth to actually read what was written, not what's been interpreted through history books and so forth. And, you know, when Cook comes ashore there at Cornell here in Sydney on first seeing Aboriginal peoples, the Guigal peoples, um, and he calls them men, men, women and children. Uh, and so he saw us as peoples, uh, but our humanity was denied for um, centuries uh, and we're still trying to claim that dignity um, in our humanity today. Uh, and so, you know, that's where the truth definitely needs to be told Um and to own that, yes, there were policies that were racist and based on our genocide and extermination. And when I tell the truth, this is where the truth will set us free. It's not to bring condemnation or guilt or these sorts of things. It's just to state the facts. Uh, and that is what will set us free and lead us to relationship um, because there is this shared story. But mm-hmm. until we have that shared understanding of our history, it is difficult to work into a sh- walk into a shared future together. But that is our deep hope mm-hmm. and uh, prayer. If I could share one more story, um, that would be, I often get asked, particularly in when I go into schools and by students, usually year 11 students, uh, that um, how with the understanding of the true history, how can I still be a Christian? Mm. And one of uh, the things for that is Jesus has changed my life and uh, I cling tightly to Jesus in my walk through all of the injustice um, today as well as to see that love and hope and truth and justice. Uh, But those incredible Aboriginal Christian leaders that have gone before us, the likes of Auntie Jean Phillips, of Uncle Reverend Graham Paulson, Mm. um, who've particularly impacted my life Mm. uh, and mentors for me, 
that they grew up on the mission mm. uh, and experienced the worst of the mission experience. Um, and they still faithfully follow Jesus through mm. that. That is a great inspiration to us as younger Aboriginal Christian leaders. And that's why our elders um, are so important for us, especially as Aboriginal peoples, our elders in our culture. But I think for all young people to look up to our um, all those uh, who are older than us as holders of great wisdom uh, and need to be respected and cared for and listened to. Mm. Uh, and so I, I hope they find those elders, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal in their lives to um, uh, learn from. This is maybe a little bit uh, off off um, course, but I wonder whether I, I could ask you, we're very conscious that Christendom, a Christian society has come and gone in some ways and that the Western world is moving into a, a more um, or a, a less respectful space in terms of Christianity particularly, but of organised formal religion more, more generally. The possibility that Christian, Christianity won't become the, the source of power or the, the, ideology that is adopted by those in power. Do you think the experiences of, of Aboriginal Christians of recent um, centuries and the challenges and the injustices and the hardships and the need to cling to faith and the, the character of faith of um, Jesus may have something to tell Christians in the future as they maybe... Uh, get pushed aside from being in the positions of power and of dominance and influence? Absolutely. And I think that's when you look at things like the grass tree gathering, like common grace, God has raised us up as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders and keeps bringing us together for non-Indigenous Christians to tune into that mm. um, and to come and be a part of that. I think that is what we're being called to as a nation, what Jesus has been calling us to. Jesus has seen all the last 250 years. Uh, he has wept uh, with both and all our peoples uh, and weeps today for the lack of relationship. And so that faithful uh, witness uh, to follow Jesus uh, through pain and injustice because that's all that we have left as Aboriginal peoples. When you've got stolen land and stolen wages and stolen generations and what I call our injustices today as stolen lives, uh, you don't have much, but mm. we still have Jesus. And so um, uh, I think that is a, a core message um, to tune in uh, and to tune into yeah, being led by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. Um, Brooke, our, our time is sort of getting to a point where uh, we need to draw our conversation to a close, but um, I've just so appreciated you speaking so openly and from your heart and, and sharing perspective as you have. I just uh, was thinking about that you made the comment that, that you found just recently you, you were the first uh, Aboriginal person to graduate with those dual honours from university. I I guess when I heard you share that news there, there was the thought from my mind that it probably carries a great sense of, of personal pride, rightly, but also maybe a little bit of pain that there had to be a first and that the first was had to be marked in that sort of way. Is, do you want to just maybe reflect on that a little? 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's been a lot of firsts and onlys uh, in my lifetime. Um, And, you know, even as CEO of Common Grace today, this is uh, the first time uh, we believe that an Aboriginal Christian has been a CEO or leader of a national Christian organisation in Australia that isn't a Indigenous specific organisation. And so it took our country till the year 2020 for that to happen. Uh, And so, yes, that's an amazing achievement, but there is still that part of that little pang of why did it take until 2020 for an Aboriginal person to be a leader or CEO of a national Christian organisation? And so my hope is that it doesn't um, overwhelm people but uh, holds that truth-telling, I guess, uh, the pain and the the love and the hope. Uh, and so I know that it then creates the, the way for others to come um, through uh, behind me and beside me uh, and that uh, we will see things um, change um, and embracing of our leadership. And so uh, I guess my hope and prayer is that people will find the ways to, uh, you know, walk alongside us, but bring us into the systems um, and organisations uh, or come to places like Common Grace to mm. learn from us and to to walk alongside uh, us who are already being Aboriginal-led um, to see uh, how we can do this together. Yeah, that's good. You, you've had a constant theme through the conversation that you've had about the common good finding the common good. And, and it reminds me um, not just of the encouragement for the church of God to, to be integrated in itself and to everyone look after one another, uh, the body of Christ, but of the encouragement in Jeremiah of, you know, seek the welfare of the city in which you've been placed, the general good of society, not just those that are part of the, the household of faith. What, from, from your perspective, what would it look like for the future generations for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years for that journey to continue? What would be some of the markers that you'd be hopeful to see? Uh, An end to poverty, (laughs) Um, uh, a love for our neighbour. And I think you would see that spilling out through um, uh, individuals, families, uh, within houses, uh, um, uh, across, uh, through schools, through churches, across community, and then to nation. Mm. Um, and it actually means a deep togetherness. Uh, it's not a sameness, mm. uh, for me, unity, uh, can't happen without diversity. Um, unity is not sameness. And unfortunately, uh, the common good often looks like sameness and that's not what it's about. And so um, it's really seeing all of our cultures coming together and sharing and celebrating and um, and lamenting uh, together. How, how might the young people who could be listening to this podcast get involved in some of the, the work that you or others are doing for the common good? Yeah, so uh, it's really easy. Uh, We mainly are online movements and then have offline events as well. And so to sign up on Common Grace's website, uh, commongrace.org.au, we're on all the social media channels. um, So Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And so our social media tag is at commongraceaus.com. 
there's so many things to tune in and to participate in and calls to action and uh, through both the website and signing up and being on our email list as well as through social media, um, as well as getting in contact with us if people might want to volunteer uh, that's a great pathway too. And as Common Grace, we actually have a schools partnership program uh, as well. And so if people are interested in our uh, schools partnership program, they can get um, in touch with us uh, through the website. Uh, and we have an incredible uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leader uh, and trained teacher, uh, Safina Stewart, Wutiti woman and Mabiog Island woman, um, who's our National Schools Partnership Coordinator. And uh, so, yeah, we produce things for NAIDOC Week and National Reconciliation Week. And uh, so there's plenty of ways to uh, plug in and get involved and uh, be part of a movement pursuing Jesus and justice. It's fantastic to hear some of that. I do encourage all of our, anyone who might be listening to, to follow up on those points of connection. And uh, if you're not part of one of our ACC schools to maybe speak to the leaders in your community about how they might be able to reach out and uh, put you in touch with, with some of those resources. Brooke, you, you began our conversation by noting that the Christian faith and Jesus' work is intended to bring life and that we would have life in its full and it's been really exciting to hear how you are continuing to find ways to be part of that ministry of Jesus, to bring the fullness and flourishing of life into every part of our shared life together, as well as our, our individual lives. Uh, please be assured of our prayers and our support as he continues to open doors for you to work in your ministry and to gather people that will uh, uh, allow you to minister in the ways that, that uh, he wants you to in common grace in the work of Australia. Brooke Prentice, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being part of my call to listen, to learn and to love. And I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you.